Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. This is episode 83, and today I'm talking with Wendy Garrett. When one has a paralyzed limb, it's unlikely that you'll see them running, but it's even less likely that you'll see them running a marathon. But even less likely than that is that they will be competing in the major world marathons. But that's the story we get to hear today. Stay tuned to find out about Wendy's accident, the long process to discovering why she couldn't use her leg, and the way it has become possible for her to get the support she needs to walk and run on her own. Stay tuned for the rest of the story. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story Power serves you best when you know how to use it. From the age of six to her retirement at age 23, Wendy Garrett was a competitive gymnast. She attended Utah State University where she got her degree in sports and exercise science. And after her retirement from gymnastics, she began running as a way to stay active. For her, this was half marathons and marathons and she became a full-time gymnastics coach, which took her to San Diego, to Austin, Texas, and to beautiful Bermuda. This was where the motor accident happened that took the use of her left leg. So let's talk to Wendy and let her tell us her story. Wendy, welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Lori. I'm so excited to hear it from your perspective and your voice. So we've got a little bit of your background. You can either add to that or let's jump right into the story of the accident and what and what happened for you. Bermuda was as amazing as you would imagine. It's absolutely gorgeous. And I had a dream job and I was living where people vacationed. Most people drive motorized scooters there. So I'd been living there three years and one day I was just heading to work like I always do. And Unfortunately, a car pulled out in front of me and I was not able to stop in time and I, I ran into the car and then I fell to the ground and my motorized scooter came toppling down on top of me. Mm. And at the time, it didn't seem very serious. You know, I, I was stuck under the bike. I had to ask for help to, to get out. But at the time, you know, you're just kind of embarrassed and I just felt bad because I was going to be late for work now. So I was just like, I'm okay. You know, everybody can just go on. It looked like I had just one scratch on my leg. And so I called my boss and had him take me to work. And it wasn't until a couple days later that I finally was able to go to the ER. And, you know, my whole body was in pain, of course, from the accident, but I had no use of my left leg. I couldn't wiggle my toes. I couldn't, I could barely stand on it. It just had no use. And it was, it was very scary. And at first I just thought maybe it was some kind of weird trauma that had happened and you know my body was going to wake back up and it was just going to slowly come back to life and as the days went on that did not happen so when I went to the ER they just took an x-ray of my foot is all and they diagnosed me with a sprained ankle but as a gymnast I'd had many sprained ankles before and I I just knew that was not was not right but I just kept trying to go on and coach and live my life as best as I could at that point how how is the medical system down there in Bermuda? It's 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 fairly it's fairly good. After two weeks, I went back again, and they 
did the same thing and said, it's a sprained ankle, just be patient. And I was, but I was just dragging around this dead leg, you know, kind of like Quasimodo. And luckily one of my gymnast parents was a doctor on the island and she was the one, one day she was watching me coach and she just wrote me a prescription to see one of her friends who was a physical therapist. And she's like, I can't watch you anymore. She's like, call this person and, and they'll, they'll start taking care of you. So if it wasn't for her, who knows how long it would have taken to get the ball rolling. How long did it take? How long was it until you actually got a correct diagnosis? It took three years, believe it or not, and two countries and two states. <laughs> and the whole so, time you felt like the diagnosis was wrong. I mean, clearly you can't move your leg and they're, they just keep coming back with as a sprained ankle. Yeah. Yeah. So then luckily the phys- I went to the physical therapist and she, she was, she asked me, she goes, have you been icing your ankle? And I, I felt guilty because I thought I was going to be in trouble for not icing my ankle. And I, and I said, no, I haven't been. And she's like, cause your leg is ice cold, you know, cause I mm. wasn't aware of that. So there was you know, no circulation. It's pretty much just dead. So she was the one that was like, this is serious. And she's the one that got me going to see another doctor who said, you know, this is really serious. And then they didn't have a neurologist on the island at the time. So they, there was a neurologist that would come and visit every couple months from Harvard in Boston. So when he came in, I saw him and he was the first one that says, you know, you're not allowed to work, you know, you can do more damage. And, and then that's kind of where I eventually had to give up my job in Bermuda and move back home to Oregon to try to get better so I could have my life back. Okay. And so what happened from there? Did you, who was it that diagnosed you with an actual spinal injury? It took uh, about 25 doctors and specialists. Um, So I started here and I went to neurologists. I went to the top research hospital. Nothing added up right. You know, I couldn't move my leg, but I could feel it. And either they just diagnosed me with muscle weakness or they would say, we don't know. And I was in a, you know, one of those big walking medical boots, you know, Mm -hmm. the whole time. And, um, Luckily, I had a physical therapist that each time I got a diagnosis was like, nope, that's not right. It's something different. So if it wasn't for her, you know, I probably would have just been like, okay, you know, they're right. So I just kept fighting. And luckily, I eventually ended up in Utah. My aunt and uncle went on a church mission and they asked me to come house it. And at one point, I finally said, one more doctor. Let me try one more doctor. If they cannot help me, I'm just going to deal with it and just move on with my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily, I went to a doctor and, and he ran all the same tests, but he ended up doing the test a little higher. And he finally discovered that I had two different spinal cord injuries. So I have an incomplete spinal cord injury in my lower back. And then I have an injury in my neck as well. And that's what, so I never got the use of my leg back, which was, you know, a little upsetting because I always had hope the whole three years, you know, that I I was going to get the use of my leg back. So absolutely. That had to be traumatic. That's a huge loss. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, you know, and a lot of the doctors just didn't understand that, you know, my life was on hold. I, you know, my, my career was based on being active and no one really seemed to care that I wasn't able to work and I was, I couldn't run. I was in this walking boot, you know, just, you know, trying to do the best that I could. And, um, so it's kind of amazing that they never thought to check your back previous to that. Yeah. At the time it never made sense. And, Luckily, the same doctor in Utah, and the miracle was that it was his last week practicing at this clinic, mm. he was being transferred to the Veterans Hospital in Salt Lake City. So, you know, if I'd been a week later, I would not have seen them, and I, I never got to see him again afterwards. So that wow. was one of the many miracles, yeah, that happened along the way. And 
the other great part with him is he, and he said, I'm going to send you to be fitted for an orthotic so we can help get you, you know, a little more active. And I immediately asked him, I said, am I going to be able to run again? And he kind of smiled and he's like, let's just try walking first. And so yeah, and yeah, he sent me to a, a, a team there. Then they started fitting me for different orthotics. And luckily it just took a couple weeks and they found one that worked and I w- took it home and I went for, for a jog that, that very same day. And I, I just went around the block and I called my mom crying. I'm like, mom, they'll never guess what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm running. And we just cried together. And it's definitely a day that I'll never forget. What is an orthotic? Yeah. So an orthotic is, there's a, there's a lot of different types depending on what you need it for. Uh, my particular one is made by a company called Allard. It's an AFO. So it is the piece of metal that goes underneath the sole of my shoe. So it helps lift my foot and then lower it. And then there's a guard that runs up the front of my shins with some straps. So it kind of lowers my heel, then it stops me. And so it's just a very simple brace that does a lot of work. (laughs) So how much of your leg can you not use? Is it the lower part that's paralyzed or you can't feel your left leg at all? I can feel it. So the part of my nerve that controls the feeling didn't get pinched, luckily. So I have my feeling. It's just the the movement. So from the knee down, I have no movement. So I can't you know, okay. just a normal toe wiggle. I can't do that. I can't uh, move my ankle. I have no push off. So I can't like, you know, when I run, I can't push off my toes. And then luckily my upper leg was very weak after the accident, but I was able to luckily regain, I'm at about 75% strength in my upper leg. So wow. that was a blessing as well. The orthotic takes care of all of that movement then of ankle movement and everything you need to be able to run with that lower portion of your leg. Yeah, it's so simple, but it's, it's amazing. And, you know, most of the time I I forget about it. It works so well that I, you know, and the body just kind of adapts to it that I, most of the time I forget that I even have a spinal cord injury and that I'm, I'm wearing an orthotic. Wow. Wow. Which is incredible considering what you do. You're still a gymnastics coach, right? Yeah. So luckily I was able to return to be a, being a gymnastics coach. I just teach younger kids, so I don't have to do a lot of lifting and such because I still have injury to my back. And then I'm also back teaching water aerobics as well. So I'm back being probably more active than I even was before the accident. Well, that's wonderful. Congratulations. Whenever we tell our stories and we're telling them from the past, we always summarize, you know, we always just sort of, yeah, this happened and that happened. And it's so easy to skim over the actual intensity of what yeah. went on. What kind of emotions did you have to deal with in, you know, through this process of not knowing what was wrong with your leg and the pain involved and then, you know, coming to find out that you would never use it again? What was that emotional path like for you? I went through all, all sorts of emotions. After I'd gone to the ER the second time and they said it was a sprained ankle and they told me six weeks. And to me, that was a long time. I was like, six weeks, you know, I'm like, that's so rough. And so I, I went to my church, I'm, I'm LDS, and um, I asked one of the members from the bishopric if he could give me a priesthood blessing, and he did, and during that priesthood blessing, he mentioned the word patience probably about 30 times. It was a very short blessing, but he said patience about 30 times, because when he finished, you know, we were all in tears, and his wife kind of hit him on the shoulder and was like, George, do you think he said patience enough, you know, and um, <laughs> it was fun, and at the time, you know, we had, we had absolutely no idea. We thought I had a sprained ankle, and you know, and I think if it weren't for that, I probably would have 
lost my mind. But, you know, it's like the whole time, the whole three years, that kept me going because I was like, okay, patience. You know, I'm like, got to have patience. And so I just knew that it was all, you know, that God was in control, that, that it was all for a reason. So I just kept my best to be patient. And I tried different things. You know, I, someone had taught me how to crochet beanies. I was like crocheting beanies. People were buying them. I was baking cupcakes. I bought a banjo. I was trying to learn how to play the banjo and, That's you know, awesome. just my time as, as wisely as I could. Cause I was just like, it's all for a reason. And, you know, I got to do my best to find out why and just make good use of this time that God has given me. And so looking back, really, I was really able to be patient because of that, that blessing. And one of the hardest times was when I had to, I had to leave Bermuda. Of course, that was one of the hardest. Mm. And yeah, because I just thought I'd lost everything to me, you know, that was that was that was difficult. But looking back, it was the right thing. And just a small, a small sacrifice. And why was it? Why was it the right thing? Because I mean, if I would have stayed there, I wouldn't have been able to get the proper medical help that I needed. And, you know, it was just time. It was just time for leave and just just things that were ahead of me couldn't be accomplished. Sure. Okay. And yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't have found that doctor you needed. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah that makes yeah. sense. I'm impressed with the the use of your time. I have a, a banjo too that I keep thinking I'm going to learn how to play. Really awesome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, but I do the same thing. I, um, I'm always trying to figure out how to use my time wisely and and I can just picture that. I can picture that playing out. And and you were doing those things to earn money because you couldn't work, right? Yeah, partially just to, you know, make a little bit of income and also just to keep myself busy and, you know, try to explore other talents. And, you know, I just kept thinking maybe I was being led in a different direction. And, you know, so I was just... I was you just, never know, do you? You right, just kind of waiting. Yeah. So, so once you got that orthotic, how did you get into marathons? You just decided, oh my gosh, I can run. I'm going to start doing this again. Yeah. You know, and then, like I said, that doctor, he had, he'd been transferred. So I really never had someone to follow up with and ask questions. So I got this orthotic. I went for a run that day. And then, you know, a couple of days later, I went around two blocks and then, you know, I, I pulled the Forrest Gump. I just kept running a little bit more <laughs> each week. And then, one day I saw a billboard for the Utah Valley half marathon and full marathon. I was like, you know, it was a couple months away. I was like, I could, I could try a half marathon. You know, I didn't, I didn't know this orthotic was mostly, you know, intended I thought for walking and living in, you know, so I didn't know if it was going to hold up or if my body was going to hold up. And I'm like, you know what, let's just add a mile each week and let's see if it's possible. And finally I got to mile 10 and I said, okay, I can do this. So I signed up and I ran the Utah Valley half marathon a couple months later. And that, that was amazing. Yeah. Was that so huge? Were you just like incredibly out of your head when you crossed that finish line? It was, you would have thought it was the Olympics, you know, and nobody else around me knew what was going on, but I had, my aunt was there. My nephew was there. One of my friends were there and they, they all knew, you know, and so else around me, it's just a normal small marathon. But for me, it was just like the most amazing moment ever. It was like, a miracle just happened and, and, you know, my family was going on my friends and yeah, it was, it was very, very special. And so did you just decide I want to keep running more? How did you get into the next one? No. And then I, I, I thought I was going to stay in Utah um, because I was starting to coach again. I liked my job, but then back home in Oregon, my sister um, was battling colon cancer and it just Mm. took a turn for the worse. And she, was married and had three kids and my mom was helping out a lot. And I, I just knew I needed to move home and, 
and help out. So I came back to Oregon again, and then kind of the same thing. I was like, oh, the Portland marathons in a few months, you know, and then for me, that was going to be kind of an end of the book thing. I was like, okay, like, you know, let's just see if we can do it. That would, you know, kind of give me closure to everything. Like this all happened, but then I ended it with this and I had the most amazing support on the way, just people that like, you know, encourage me and helped me through it. And then when it came time for the orthotic, I hadn't been working. So I had people that like bought these bracelets with my motto, life is tough, but I am tougher. They bought these bracelets to help me fundraise for this orthotic. So I just had, you know, so much support. So in a, wow. in a weird way, I was kind of like, this will be like our moment together. Kind of my thank you for to them. Like, you know what? Thank you so much. Like, here's what we did, you know, and that, that was really what I, what I thought. And same thing. I didn't know if it was possible if my body was going to be able to do it, if my orthotic was up to the task. So I just kept adding mileage. And then once I got to around mile 18, I was like, okay, let's do this. And then I, I signed up and that really was one of the best days of my life. That, I mean, I, I was smiling the whole time mm-hmm. and it was just, it was the most amazing moment and had my mom and my aunts there and yeah, crossing that finish line was epic. <laughs> Absolutely epic and wonderful and how exciting after after being in places of fear and not knowing what was ahead and if you'd be able to even run again and then to do something so monumental it was it, it was a great day and yeah and like i said that was kind of for me that i thought that was the end of my my book but that's actually kind of where the whole thing gets started in a weird way <laughs> Because of the my before before my accident, the Boston Marathon had always been a dream of mine. But it was kind of one of those dreams that's so big, and you don't really talk about it out loud because you know it's going to be take a lot of work. It's going to be in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my mind, for the accident, I was like, you know, maybe when I'm in my 40s, I'll you know if I keep working hard, I'll I'll be fast enough. And so with the accident, I was just like, that's not gonna you know that that's off the table now and I remember at the Portland Marathon finish line you know every people you hear people say and I qualified for Boston and I you know I was so happy for them I was like oh my goodness congratulations that's amazing you know and that's it's just the runner world is is very cool um and then that night you know I was already I was just on a you know complete runner's high from the day I was just like you know my gosh I just ran a marathon and you're it's always just such a good feeling and I was laying in bed all of a sudden I got this thought in my head I was like I wonder for the Boston Marathon if there's, you know, a little bit of a difference in time for people with disabilities like me. And, you know, so I got on my computer and I looked up the Boston Marathon and I'm, you know, just looking around. And then sure enough, I find out they have a category called mobility impaired and I'd qualified. And I was really? just, are you kidding me? And this is, you know, this is that very night. I'm like, I qualified for the Boston Marathon, but by now, I think it was like midnight. I, you know, everyone's asleep. I can't call anybody or be like I just qualified for the Boston Marathon you know I was like what <laughs> and you know it, it, it said on the main page registration is closed you know so I was like well maybe next year you know I'm like I can I can go to the Boston Marathon and the more I looked around it said um so registration had been closed for the for the um the main race but it said that registration for the mobility impaired category started tomorrow mm. so morning yeah so the next morning I woke up I you know I had to get papers from my doctors I do all this stuff and then it all worked out so the way it worked out was just amazing and <laughs> it fell right into your lap didn't it? it 
it did. It fell, it fell right into my lap and just something that I never thought was going to happen. So you, you reached that pinnacle then. What was that like? I did. Um, it was bittersweet because I literally, the, the weight was killing me because, you know, you qualify, then you have to apply. And then, you know, they, there's only certain spots. So they kind of work their way down and from the fastest times, the slower times. So you don't know, you know, and that was like the longest, I think it was three weeks of my life. You know, I was just like, oh, am I going to get in? My sister's health just took a turn for the worse. And there was one day we were trying to get her to the hospital and she was just not herself. She was in so much pain and we had to have come people come help us carry her to the car. So we're getting her to the car and I'm in tears because it's hard to see the people you love in so much pain. And of course, that's when I get the email from the Boston Marathon that, hey, you got into the Boston Marathon, you know, and it's like, should be like, you know, the greatest moment. But I'm like, here we are, we're like transporting my sister. And And this was your sister that had cancer. Yeah. So I I found out at that moment as we're trying to transport her to the the hospital and um, my sister ended up um, passing away about a month and a half after the the Portland Marathon. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. (laughs) So she passed away on Thanksgiving. Um, That would have been 2013. You know, after she passed away, you know, it's just your your grief stricken, your your life's turned upside down, and you know, you just want to make life as normal as you can for you know her kids. Mm-hmm. Kids are resilient, you know, and they just need to know that they're loved and everything's going to be okay. So for me, the Boston Marathon was kind of suddenly not important, you know. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, because it, it, it's in April, so by the time you know with the funeral, everything happened Christmas, it was about four months away. So I was kind of thinking, ah. Eh, it's not important, maybe next year, but luckily I just started running and I found that running was helping me through my grief because it was a time that I had completely to myself. I live in the country, you know, I was out in nature. I just had time to, you know, think about everything and work through my feelings. You know, you're, you can't, Absolutely. yeah, because, you know, in busy life, you can just keep yourself busy and not have to, you know, face those feelings. But when you're out running by yourself, you have to, and it ended up being the best thing for me because I'm like, I could cry out there. I could laugh. You know, I could just, mm-hmm. it ended up being the best thing ever. Luckily, I just kept with it. And then that April, I headed to the Boston Marathon with my mom. Running can be so cathartic. We, I did an interview with Adam Chase. He is, he's a professional runner mm-hmm. and he, we were talking about the loss of his father and, you know, it was the same thing for him. He, he used running to, to process that over and over and over and so that time alone but also the time where you're like purging and pushing yourself physically there are so many aspects of running that really seem to serve as a cathartic healing process which is so needed yes definitely and my my sister wasn't a runner but you know ironically enough I always feel closest to her too when I'm when I'm running so it's Mm. kind of it's kind of special and and then that that Boston Marathon, my first one was the year after the bombings as well. So it was so emotional for more reasons than my own. <laughs> sure. <laughs> to be there. Yeah, because it was it was the year after and you know, the city was just amazing. They just welcomed us and they wanted everybody to feel safe and welcome. And you know, and there was just a lot of memories and honors of all the people that, that had been lost and it was it was just a very, very special experience to be there. I felt honored. So how did you do? How, what was the experience of running it? Were you happy with your time? And I actually, I had a, I had a knee injury. It's probably the only knee injury I've ever had before. 
So honestly, I didn't even know if I was going to be able to do it. I, I could barely walk the weeks up to the, the marathon, if you can believe it or not. And so I'd gone to the hospital and they were like, you know, it's nothing serious. It's just, I mean, they thought it was tendonitis. So like, it's going to be really painful. So like, if you want to do it, you can do it. You're not going to do more damage, you know? So everything was booked. So we went, you know, I, so I really had no idea that I was just trying to enjoy it. And it, it did, it hurt the entire, it hurt the entire way, but I, and it wasn't till mile, I saw the mark that said one kilometer to go that I was like, okay, I, I got this. Cause I can crawl that. I can log roll that. I can, I can walk on my hands. I was like, we got this. <laughs> no, so it was, it was honestly, it was just so surreal to be there just cause you know, somewhere that I thought I would never be. And then and it's just, it's the a Boston life dream That's the Boston marathon. You know, I was like, yeah there with the fastest people in the world. I shouldn't have been there, but I was. And then, yeah, just crossing that that finish line again was just, I get emotional at every marathon finish line just because everything kind of comes flooding back. Plus, you know, it's just... Yeah, why wouldn't you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, Wendy, between the Boston Marathon and the New York Marathon, while you were supposed to be training for that, um, you had something else happen and it sort of spun you into a depression. Tell us about that and, and what the results were. What happened to you? I ended up being in a relationship. Everything was great and that ended up ending. It involved two kids, so it was kind of a triple loss and, and it was just kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. It was just kind of like that loss on top of the loss of my sister, on top of my accident, the loss of my leg. It was just kind of everything just kind of caught up to me. Um, so you were, I, you were dating someone and he had children? He had children, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so and when that, that relationship ended, you lost all of those relationships. Yeah, and then it just kind of, everything finally caught up to me and I just fell into a, a really deep, dark depression. And it, it lasted about at least three months and it was, it was pretty severe. I remember looking back, I remember um, explaining to my counselor at the time that it just felt like I was dead inside. It felt like I was just a body that was roaming around and yeah, I was in counseling. I was on medication and you know, I was really trying hard, but it was just a really hard depression to break. I was supposed to be training for the New York City Marathon and I just, at the time it wasn't important. I wasn't really, didn't have an appetite. I was losing weight like crazy and just getting out of bed to go to work was, you know, an achievement. So running wasn't really high on my agenda at the time and yeah and this this kind of went on for for three months you know i know i was worried my friends and family were worried and you know we were we're trying everything and just trying to get this depression to break and i know at the time too i was also a little angry at god because i thought why did you bring me back to oregon for this and you know Mm -hmm. i don't want to be back here in oregon and now i'm disabled nobody's gonna want me and you know Mm -hmm. a little bit of anger anger there as well Sure. Heartbreak is hard. And didn't you end up losing a lot of weight also from not eating? I did. I, I, I remember getting down to about 99 pounds. So wow. I'm that is so tiny. One, yeah. Cause I'm around, I'm, 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 I'm short. So I'm only, I'm around 118 right now at like healthy. So that's, that's very tiny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How tall are you? I'm four, uh, 4'11". Okay. <laughs> You are tiny. <laughs> I am tiny. Yeah. Okay, so what happened that helped you to work through this or break out of it? So eventually, yeah, because I had gotten into the New York City Marathon, and one day in August, I got an email from the marathon, and they were announcing a contest that was through Runners World Magazine. Um, 
and it was just a contest where you could kind of tell your story leading up to the marathon and then there were all these prizes you know you could win apparel there was going to be you know a, a billboard and Times Square and yeah and an article for Runner's World and oh and a watch from um, Tag Hauer as well and at the time I was like uh, why you know why not so I just kind of wrote a little story about you know my accident and then coming back to run the Boston Marathon and didn't think anything of it and submitted it and then my friends and family just kind of rallied around me and started voting right away and then they shared and got their friends to vote and by the end of the first day I, I was in I was in first place and I was just blown away I'm like why are all these people like you know taking the time to do this for me and why are people saying that they're inspired by me and you know, it just kind of blew my mind, you know, or that it, I was in that deep, dark depression that like, you know, people would take the time to care. <laughs> people care about me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> what, exactly. what a wonderful thing though, when you're in that dark place, sometimes the, just the love of other people is the light that you can see yeah. as you walk toward it. Yeah. Nice. Exactly. Yeah. And so, I, and, and it was a context that was going to go on for like a couple months and people could vote daily. And so, you know, in the first day, my story, I think, was like in the lead. And I was like, uh, that won't, you know, that won't last long, you know, because I'm like, there's 50,000 people in this marathon. It's not going to last very long. And then, but then it did. And then, you know, my friends and family just kept voting and they kept sharing. And then all of a sudden it was like just every little day, like a little bit of the darkness was just kind of being chipped off. And it was just kind of giving me confidence. Plus it was a really fun game. It was like, wake up in the morning and be like, how many votes are we going to get today? And like, you know, like, yeah, it turned into like this fun contest. And all of a sudden I had like something to look forward to. And then I originally started by, I took like a picture of Napoleon Dynamite wearing the vote for Pedro shirt and I scratched <laughs> off Pedro and put Wendy. And then, you know, I'd like, I shared that. That's and then, cute. yeah, it turned into this fun game where like each day I'd come up with like a new fun meme to like remind people to vote. vote. So also like my you know, like artistic, artistic side was having an outlet at mm. the same time. And yeah, just all together, just ended up being a good experience. Obviously I wasn't like cured right away, but it was like little baby steps at a time. And, and then I started thinking, I'm like this contest, I'm like, I have to go to, I got to start running now. You know, I'm like, if all these people are backing me up about this, I gotta, I gotta start training and, and be at the New York city marathon. So yeah, um, that's a great shot in the arm. I, I might win. I better, <laughs> I better show up. Right. I'm like, I better, I, I better be there. I was like, and you know, and then cause every time somebody would share the link to vote, they'd like, you know, they were like saying these amazing things about me. And I was like, people think that about me. I'm like, what, like, what's going on? And so they, you know, they inspired me to be like, I better like live up to what they think I am. And I got to fight back, you know? And so mm -hmm. it was just, it was an amazing experience all around. And I've, you know, everyone just, you know, rallied around me and buoyed me up. And it was, so did it was, you win? I ended up being the, on the lead for votes, then that turned out that was a small percentage. And so the judges ended up picking somebody else in the long run, which was fine. I didn't need prizes. Like I'd pretty much been given my life back. You know, you can't really mm, yeah. that to any type of prize. And so, yeah, so we went to New York and me and my mom went to the, the big um, winner's reveal in Times Square, you know, just to be supportive. And um, they were going to reveal the billboards and who the winner was. And, and then, to our surprise, like on, on the way leading up to the reveal, they like put up my picture on a billboard in Times Square and it had like one of the quotes that I'd submitted with my story. And it was just, it was so surreal because we didn't, we didn't know it was coming. And it was like to go from, you know, physical rock bottom first to like 
then to this like mental rock bottom. And then all of a sudden I'm like top of Times Square and just because of all the people that had rallied around me. And how cool um, is that? That had yeah. to be so fun. That was, that was, that was, that was, that was so much fun. And of course, after that it didn't get easy, but that definitely snapped me out of it and just kind of, like I said, chipped the darkness away and gave me confidence and hope. And it was a great experience at New York City Marathon. And that's kind of where I found out about the six world marathon majors and where that mm. goal came about. And, and then that's where I said, well, I've done two, I might as well go for the six. And that's where that goal started. And thank heavens I had it because then about a year after the New York City Marathon, my cousin was also more like my best friend. He was just in his 20s and he shocked us all and he had taken his own life. And that's probably one of the hardest things ever that I've had to, to go through, even though there were a lot of miracles along the way that blessed and comforted us. But that was another really dark time. And so it's kind of one thing after the other. But luckily, this goal of having these the six world marathon majors kind of gave me something to get out of bed for and train and gave me hope and just the, yeah. the traveling and the, yeah, the training was therapeutic and, and healing. And yeah, it just kind of feels like it wasn't until this last year where things kind of really settled down and <laughs> I was able to really, yeah, enjoy these last couple of marathons. How many marathons have you run then? Um, since my accident, I've now done 10. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's been. It's Which been ones? Experience. Um, so I've done Boston three times and then I did New York City and then Chicago. I went to Dublin, Ireland to kind of practice the international ones on a race that wasn't as big. How fun. Yeah. And so that was a lot of fun. I got to travel to Italy and France with that one. That was amazing. Another life dream. And then I did London and Berlin. And then my most recent one was Tokyo. Oh my gosh. You are a world traveler marathon runner. <laughs> so it, it's a good excuse to travel. <laughs> Absolutely. So as you look back over your story and your experiences, what are the main pivotal learning points or just the most moving parts of it for you, the, the real learning experiences? Well, I think looking back, I, you know, I always just thought I was going to be healed. I thought that was my story. I was like, there's no way this isn't going to be my life. So it, for me, if I had my way, I would have, my leg would have healed and I would have just gone on living I guess what you would call an, a normal life, but mm -hmm. luckily God has a, a better plan for all of us. And, you know, I think if we, if we let him, he can just lead us in ways we never thought imaginable. And okay, why, um, why do you think it's better if you had been, let's say just made whole, right? You were cured back the way that you were before. Why is it better the way that it is now than it would have been to be, to be cured? Cause I, I probably wouldn't have run all these, these marathons because um, mm, what started it all was the Boston Marathon and kind of the way that that came about was because of my my injury so if it, if I had been healed <laughs> I I'd probably still you know I'd, I'd like to think I'd be running marathons but probably not as many not as serious and I'd probably still have that thought of that Boston Marathon in the back of my my mind as a big long-term goal and God made that happen in a different way and then because of that marathon I ended up going to New York City and it was at the New York City Marathon where I learned about the, the six world marathon majors and if you complete all six you become a six-star finisher and it's kind of uh, something a lot of runners want to accomplish and I was like huh you know just all of a sudden my heart was like you need to do that and I was just like 
I like to travel. I'm like, feels right. Let's do it. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah. You know, you know what's so interesting about what you're saying? And I love this because I've just been working on writing a podcast on healing. And, but I was reading a book called Christ in Every Hour. And it was talking specifically about cure versus healing and how in the scriptures we are, there's a lot of talk about healing. There's not a lot of talk about cure. This is so interesting because in dealing with anybody's life story, as we seek to heal from whatever difficult things happen to us, when we're working with the Lord in in healing from those hard and difficult and torn places, we we often do think, I just want things to be the way they were. I just want to be better, right? I I want to be made better. But that it doesn't work like that. Very seldom is someone just cured and things are back where they were. Being coming whole is actually about taking the experience and the things that have happened to you and weaving them into a new future that makes you more of a whole person, that in- integrates the experiences and the learning and the growth that comes from whatever you have gone through into becoming healed and whole moving forward, not minusing those experiences or difficulties, but using them to become more whole and more healed. Very true. Yeah, because looking back, I finally, you know, because at the time it was always so frustrating and defeating when I went to all these doctors, you know, and you get your hopes up a little bit and then they'd be bashed and you're just like, why can't they help me? You know, like, mm-hmm. what? does it make sense? And so, yeah, so now finally looking back, it makes sense. I'm like, it needed to happen this way for whatever reason. I'm like, you know, some things don't make sense to us maybe ever. We might find out eventually, but you know, I'm like looking back, I'm like, God had the full power to heal me or to, you know, let these doctors have clear mind or inspiration, like, oh, this is what it is. But so that's the only explanation I have at this point is that I was meant to be, have the answer sooner. It would have, it would have happened, you know, but that for whatever reason, I needed those three years to learn patience and be refined and, just go through what I, I went through. And then when the time was right, and because even when I received my orthotic, the guy said, you know, you could have had this three years ago. And I said, you know what? It's okay. I'm like, it's actually better this way because I'm going to appreciate it so much more. And it's, mm. it's so true. And so that's the only thing I can think about because everyone's like, why couldn't, you know, these top research hospitals help you? It doesn't make any sense. And that's the only thing I can make sense of is that it had to happen this way. And God would have made it happen sooner if that would have been the right thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. This, this this comes up in every interview. Like, it literally blows my mind, and I, I ought to be used to it by now. I'm, I'm getting more used to it, but this concept of how hindsight brings a clarity of why things unfolded the way they did in each person's yeah. life, and also a deep appreciation for it because they find the, the blessings and the opportunities and the things that came into their life because of whatever difficulty and hardship they experienced. It's fascinating and beautiful. And you're another example of it. If you have one piece of advice to give the listeners in from your experience, what would you like to share? We all go through tough stuff, but there's always joy on the other side if we let ourselves get to that point. So, you know, just be patient and just keep doing the best that you can. And there's always joy on the other side. And the joy is always going to be so much more because of the hard things that we go through. And I just think we need to keep getting ourselves out of our, our comfort zones and because nothing good happens in our, in our comfort zone. So keep stretching yourself and trying new things and just do little things today that your, your future self will, will thank you for, whether it's a 
walk around the, the block or taking a step to booking your dream vacation or going back to school. And no matter what you're going through, just know that there's joy on the other side and trust in God. He's got, he's got an amazing plan for, for all of us. You know, the thing about the getting out of your comfort zone, whenever we stay in our comfort zone, that means that we're doing the things that we're comfortable with. And we're comfortable with them because we're used to doing them. They're familiar to us. But by being in that comfort zone, that means that we continue to get whatever it is that we're getting and creating in our lives. So if there's a space in your life that you're not happy with or that you are bored or you know, you know you're, you're generating things you don't necessarily want to generate or you know your life's not necessarily what you want, those are the spaces where you really have to say, okay, if I want something different, I have to do something different. And that means getting out of the comfort zone and the importance of that just for creating possibility. And you have created tremendous possibility and continue to do so by not giving up on yourself or the things that lie before you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your story and the miracles that have happened and big picture, the lessons you've learned. Well, thank you for, for having me. It's been a great experience. There are three main things that I got from my interview with Wendy. The first was the patience for God's timing. I think these things stick out to me because these are perhaps the lessons that I need to learn, the things that I need to work on. The second was that what God can create for us is more beautiful than what we could create. All of those wonderful international marathons and travel she wouldn't have been able to do on her own without that injury. Through something that at first felt very tragic and difficult, she was given a way to actually deal with it so she doesn't notice it anymore, but it opened these beautiful, wonderful doors of opportunity for her. How lovely is that? And then it was interesting in her conclusion where she said, get out of your comfort zone. And that's something that we talk about so often on the podcast, simply because that creates possibility. And of course, it creates vulnerability as well, which is never a comfortable place. That's why it's called outside the comfort zone. How often can we talk about that and drive that home of sometimes just getting out of that comfort zone, doing something, being more social maybe than you want to be, or going to that class or that dance, talking with somebody that makes you nervous, trying for that marathon that you don't think you can do. These ideas of getting out of our comfort zone and pushing ourselves create possibility that simply will not happen if we don't push ourselves. These are beautiful takeaways. The Love Your Story movement was created to help you reframe old stories that hold you back to help you become aware of your control over the stories that you're creating every day right now in your own mind about the things that are going on and to give you tools and inspiration for creating the life story that you want moving forward. Go to the website www.loveyourstorypodcast.com and you can join the 21 day challenge. This allows you to test out 21 tools that help you create a life of more connection and more possibility. There's also a free audiobook that's a gift a gift from me to you. It's called The Key to Your Super Self, How Our Stories Unlock Our Power. And it's about the everyday stories that we're creating in our own minds right now and how that builds our realities. Coming to an awareness of what that is and how it creates what we have going on in our lives is a very powerful tool. And feel free to reach out to me personally if you'd like coaching on your personal story. So we'll see you next week on the next episode of the Love Your Story podcast. Have a great week out there. Thank you.